Man, I think we just do that. That's awesome. Man, that's really cool. And uh, that's what we introduce to our kids each and every week. Last week, uh, I, I get a text, and, and uh, we had 68 people back there, kids back there last Sunday, uh, learning about, learning about uh, uh, the gospel, learning about Jesus. And that's, that's more than we had when we started as a church, like more kids. That's incredible, incredible. And uh, I am grateful to be a part of it. Thank you very much for, for inviting, for serving, and for making a difference uh, this morning. Uh, trying, to, trying to, in my mind, how do you transition from that? Like, how do you, I don't know how, except for just admit that I can't. <laughs> you know, when we, when we started uh, Wellspring three years ago, next, next month, about a month from now, we... Uh, um, really set out to, to be a little bit different as a church. At least different than any church that I had ever been a part of. Um, I, ha- I actually was in, heard a sermon and was a part of a Bible study. Uh, my favorite book in the, in the Old Testament, actually it has been for years, but my favorite book in the Old Testament, it came from, from uh, this Bible study uh, and sermon and Bible study came from this particular book and it changed everything for me. Everything. As far as you know, starting a church and, and what it meant, what it would look like, and, and uh, the values that the church would have, that sort of thing. It changed everything for me. My favorite story in the Old Testament is actually Nehemiah. And I heard this, this sermon that this, and went through this Bible study, and it just changed everything as we were starting to launch Wellspring three years ago. And um, anyway, the church that I grew up in, there was something going on all the time. 24-7-365. If you needed a door open, you could find it at the church that I grew up in, in Hampton, Virginia. I mean, we, we had everything. We had sewing classes. We had a Bible, uh, a basketball league. We had Bible studies on uh, Monday mornings, Monday nights, Tuesday uh, morning, Tuesday night. I mean, all the time there was something going on. We had choir. I mean, we had choir for babies. We had choir for toddlers. We had choir for kids. We had choir uh, for middle school. We had choir for high school. We had the real choir. And then we had sunshine. So that's like last stop. Okay? That, we had it all. We had it all. I mean, there was something always going on at the church that I grew up in. And I thought it was great. I mean, it was perfect for our context. It was perfect for that, for that time in, in our culture. But I wasn't sure it was perfect for where we were at. In our culture... In our time, I was I was certain it wasn't good for our resources because we didn't have it. I mean, for one, you had to have a building, you had to have a budget, you had to have a staff to, to pull all that stuff off. And it was just me and Phil, and we were just trying to make it happen. We didn't have we didn't have a staff, and we had people that bought into the vision. We had people, I mean, some of you, many of you bought in and, and inviting and investing and and, and all that, but that wasn't going to keep the doors open for 24-7-365. And so we were going to have to do something a little bit different. And it, was in the, it was in the middle of all of that that I came across this particular Bible study, and it changed everything for me. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Nehemiah this morning. And I want to introduce that to you and share with you a little bit at the end, kind of where we're headed as a church. 
Nehemiah, if you remember, um, the last series that we had on pride, I talked about King Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar, if you'll remember, he attacked the southern part of Israel and he destroyed most of Jerusalem and then went in and and pillaged the, the temple, took some things from the temple. And then he passed away and his son, or his grandson, Belshazzar, took over. And he was throwing this party and the Persians came underneath the the wall and took over. Now they were the big dog on the block. Well, fast forward about 60 years, 100 years from when Nebuchadnezzar destroyed Jerusalem. And the Persians are still the big dog. They're still the main world power. They're the empire, the Persian empire. And there's a guy named King Artaxerxes I who is on the throne about 444 B.C. He's the emperor. He's the king. And his cupbearer was a guy by the name of Nehemiah. Now, Nehemiah's job was basically to taste the wine, taste the drink, and then take some of the food and eat it before the king would eat and drink to make sure that it wasn't poison. Now, it, that seems kind of weird, does That seems kind of like a, a low-level position. But it really was. It was a very sought-after position because of the access that you had to the king. So people would try to rise up to this particular position. And this was a position that was held by, um, by Nehemiah. Now, Nehemiah was also an Israelite. He was a Jewish man. And he was uh, living, serving in the, the king's palace. When one day he gets word that breaks his heart. He had probably never been to Jerusalem because it had been destroyed and, and, and uh, kind of culture and moved away from there to, the, to, to, to Susa, the capital city there uh, in, the, in the empire of, of Persia. He had probably never been to Jerusalem, but it still held a special place in his heart. And he was going about his duties as the cupbearer to the king. And he receives word one particular day that Jerusalem is in tatters. And it had been for about a hundred years. When Nebuchadnezzar got there, he destroyed the walls. And he destroyed the city. And it had never been rebuilt. In the 100 years since that happened, it had never been rebuilt. And it was a mess. And this word got to Nehemiah and it broke his heart. Nehemiah began to pray in chapter 1 of of the book uh, of Nehemiah. He began to pray, God, would you give me the opportunity to go and to rebuild the city? Well, one particular day, he gets up the nerve and he goes and he goes into uh, King Artaxerxes. Uh, he goes into his presence and he says, King, I got a request for you. I've got a, I, I, I just, there's something that's burdening me. There's something that's breaking my heart. My people and my city is in tatters. The wall has been destroyed, and it's a mess, and it needs to be rebuilt. Would you grant me the right, the privilege, to go back to Jerusalem and to give some leadership to the city and see it rebuilt? Now, this was quite, this was, this took a lot uh, uh, of guts, because Nehemiah was a slave. I mean, he didn't have freedoms like you and I have. He could just get in his car and head across 
to, to Jerusalem. He couldn't jump on an airplane and just fly it. He was a slave. So this took some guts, but he, he got up the courage. He went before Artaxerxes. And Artaxerxes did better than just granting him permission. He helped him gather the resources. He encouraged people to go along with Nehemiah and rebuild the city. Well, when he got to uh, Jerusalem, his heart was broken yet again because the city was worse than he thought. And the Bible tells us that he took a day and a night and he went around the city and he began to look at the walls and he looked at the buildings. He talked to people that lived there. And he came up with a plan. He said, there is a lot that needs to be done in this city. I mean, an economy needs to be built. Government needs to be put in place. Um, Infrastructure needs to be built. There is a lot of things that need to happen in this city for it to be functioning as a city. And I can't get to all of it. I mean, it is overwhelming for one man, but there is one thing that I must do. There's a lot of things that can be done. There's a lot of things that even need to be done, but there's one thing that I must do. There's one thing that can be done. I've got to build the wall. I've got to build the wall. That'll bring some national pride back to our people. that'll, That'll give us some protection. And most importantly, it will reflect well on the God that we worship. The God of our forefathers. If we can build a wall, it will give us, it will reflect well on the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There is a lot of things that need to be done. But there's one thing that must be done. We've got to build the wall. Well, as you can imagine, the people around the city of Jerusalem were not excited about this news because they were an easy target. They could easily come in, steal the crops. They could could come into the city and and, uh, break into homes. It was an easy target. So the people, their enemies around them were not excited about building this wall. But Nehemiah knew it had to be rebuilt. So that's exactly what happened. He got to work building the wall. And little bit by little bit, the wall began to rise. And this guy, Sanballat, he was, he's kind of the antagonist in this story. He's the leader of the opposition. Begins to, to uh, thwart the effort of Nehemiah. He um, infiltrates with spies the city. And he tries to overthrow the city and stop the wall from being built that way. But he failed and the wall continued to rise. He also, he brought everybody back. He gathered everybody. He, he, he brought them in together. This is saying about it. Brings all the opposition together. And he builds a little bit of an army. And they attack the, the, the men who are building the wall. But they fail. In fact, Nehemiah calls everybody off the wall. He says, hey, um, that we've been attacked. We're going to continue to be attacked. So here's our new plan. Some of you, about half of you, are going to continue to build the wall because the wall is going to go up. There's one thing that must be done. The wall has to be built. So half of you are going to continue to build the wall. The other half of you are going to take up arms and you're going to defend your brothers who are building the wall. When they attack, you defend. The other half of you continue to build the wall. And that's exactly what happened. If you read the story, these guys, half of them defend the wall, the other half. Continue to build, and the wall goes up. Well, Sanballat is starting to get frustrated. 
In fact, he starts a lie about Nehemiah. He sends word back to Artaxerxes, King Artaxerxes, and he said, hey, when you sent Nehemiah over here, he's not doing what he said he was going to do. He's actually gathering up an army, and he's going to try to overthrow you. But Nehemiah was not deterred. He knew there was a lot that needed to be accomplished. He couldn't get to it all. But there was one thing that he could uh, do, and he could build a wall. And he was not deterred. Well, Sanballat decides to change his strategy. Instead of trying to keep instead of trying to keep the wall from being built, he decides, I've got to target Nehemiah himself. I've got to take out Nehemiah. We've got to take out the leadership. And then the wall will stop being built. We've got to take out their leader. Nehemiah must go down. So, that's where we pick up the story in chapter 6 of verse 1. Sam Ballot has decided to target the leader and take him out. Verse 1 of Nehemiah chapter 6, he says this. Now, when Sam Ballot and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, Although up to that time, I had not yet set up the doors to the gate. So, here's what's going on. They've built the wall and there's no breach, there's no holes, there's no breaks in the wall. Except for where they're going to eventually hang the gates. The wall, even though a Sambal has continued to target, continued to try and take down the, the Israelites and those building the wall, they have not been successful. So much so that the wall is almost complete. There's no breach in it. Next verse. Sanballat and Geshem sent to me, saying, Come, let us meet together in Hecfria, which means a village. Let's just find a generic general village and let's have a meeting in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. So Nehemiah is working on the wall. Sanballat sends and says, Hey, we need to have a meeting about this wall that you're building. And Nehemiah's response to this request is what changed everything for me. Here's what it said. And I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. I am doing a great work and I cannot come down down. Whenever I was in this Bible study and I came across this, it changed everything. For me personally and for me as a pastor. Because here's what I understood. As we're starting a church, there are a lot of things that need to happen. There are a lot of things. There are a lot of needs that need to be met. More so today, I know more. I know about more needs than I ever would have dreamed of three years ago. There are needs. There are great needs. There are important needs. There are heartbreaking needs. There are, 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 are things that need to be accomplished. But there's only one thing that as a church we must do. There's a lot of things we can do. There's a lot of important things that we can do. There are a lot of heartbreaking things that we can do, but there is one thing that we must do. 
And we are not going to come off that wall until the work is done. Because we're doing a great work. We've been called to a great work. And we are not coming down until it's completed. He goes on. He says, why should the work stop while I leave it to come down to you? Why should I stop doing what God has called me to do? Why should I stop building the wall? The one thing, the great thing that I have been called to, the one mission that I have been appointed to fulfill, why should I stop doing that to come talk to you? I've been called to a great work. And I'm not coming down. I'm not stopping until the job is done. Fast forward a little bit. Jump down to verse 15 and you see the result of his work. Here's what happens. So, so, the, so the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul in 52 Days. I love this verse because here's why. Fiction is not written like this. Nobody puts an exact day in the exact month when you're writing fiction. An exact day was given, 52 days, and they completed the wall. There were a lot of things that needed to be done. There were a lot of things that could be done to get Jerusalem back up and running. But there was one thing that must be done. The wall had to be built. And Nehemiah said, I'm not coming off the wall until it's done. Last verse says, So when our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly on their own sea. For they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Isn't that what we want to say? Isn't that the desire of our heart? That our community would say, I don't understand it. I know for sure it's not the pastor, but Wellspring is up to something. And it can only be attributed to the God that they serve. The God that they worship. And so when I went through this Bible study, it changed it changed my, it was a paradigm shift for me. I thought, you know, we're going we're gonna to try and meet this need and this need. And it's just the example that I had growing up. But whenever I came across this, I thought, you know what? That's going to be the desire of our heart as Wellspring. There's a lot of things that need to be done around here. There's a lot of things that we could do. But there's one thing that we must do. There's one thing that must be accomplished. And we need to be singular-minded. Towards accomplishing that one thing until the job's completed. Now, in the corporate world, it's called a vision statement, but it's so much more than that for us. It's a grid by which we put every idea through. It's the grid that we put, whether to have Sunday school or home groups. It's the grid by which we put um, uh, the curriculum that we decide for Wellspring kids. It's the it's the, the grid by which we decide what are what are our home or what is our uh, our, our family meeting? Our family meeting, what is that going to look like? What are we going to try to accomplish when we bring everybody in from our home groups on Sunday nights? We invite everybody from our church to come. What do we want to accomplish? This is the grid. This is the one thing that we've been called to. This is the grid by which we put every idea, everything that we do. And here's the one thing. It's this. It says that we exist to glorify God 
by making disciples of all nations through gospel-centered worship, gospel-centered service, and gospel-centered community. It is the only reason that we exist. Now let me break it down and tell you what that means for us. As, as, we, as we put ideas, when you, when, when we, when you bring ideas or, or we come up with ideas, what does this mean? What is the grid by which we put it through? Well, here's what it means. It says that the reason that we're a church, the reason that we exist is to glorify God. Basically, that is acknowledging what is already true. Everything, every person, everything exists for one person to bring glory to Christ, to bring glory to God. The, the, the ardent, hard-hearted atheist does that whether they acknowledge it or not. They are, are glorifying God's justice. And it is our prayer that that would never be so, that nobody would glorify God's justice. But in their hardness of heart, they are doing just that. They are glorifying God. So we're acknowledging everything. I exist. The reason I'm alive is to bring glory, to reflect the glory of the Savior. That's the reason that we exist as a church. Everything exists to bring glory to the Father. We're just acknowledging that that's true. Well, how are we going to do that? By making disciples, followers of Christ, of all nations. Basically, that's saying that in our circles of influence here in southwest Missouri, in, our, in the marketplace where we work, in our neighborhoods, on our baseball teams, on our traveling soccer teams, everywhere that we are in a circle of influence, the reason that we exist the reason that we are here is to make disciples, to point people to our Savior. That's the reason we exist. But it doesn't just stop, stop in southwest Missouri. It goes all the way to the ends of the earth. This week I was talking to my brother, whom you helped to support. And I was saying, hey, what does your day look like? And he said, basically he's in, he's in Thailand and he lives in a, 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 a particular state there in Thailand. I don't even know the name of it. But they have a big old huge map of the entire state. And it has every single road in their state on this particular map. And they look at it every single morning. They'll look at it. And they'll pick out a road to go on. And they'll just go door to door sharing the gospel with people in Thailand. And when they get done with that particular road, they'll come back to the office and they'll highlight it. And they'll move on to the next one. And their desire, their hope, is that every single person in their state will hear the gospel. And so I said, Jeremy, on a particular day, how many people have even heard the name of Jesus? And he said, 99% of them have never even heard the name. He said, most days, he'll walk down the roads in Thailand, and he will never come across a person, except for the people that he's with. He will never come across a person that has even heard his name, much less responded to it. You are a part, by supporting him, of making disciples of all nations. There are other people. We, you support missionaries in Japan, in Israel, all across this globe. You are a part of taking the gospel to all nations and to southwest Missouri. And it's my prayer every week that God would call you, would compel you to be a part of taking that gospel to the nations and furthering the mission for which we exist. Well, we exist to glorify God by making disciples of all nations. Well, how is that accomplished? Through gospel-centered worship, gospel-centered service, gospel-centered community. It's a little bit redundant, but the gospel is the compulsion. It's the power behind which 
Everything else happens. The gospel, we talk about it week in and week out. It is what has outed us as being imperfect. It is why we can show up here on Sunday mornings and say, I have had a hard week. I am a mess. I have sinned. The gospel has already outed you. It has already said that you are a mess and I am a mess. And that's okay because it is the power that offers forgiveness, that offers um, uh, sin to be covered. It is what the, the, the Bible says makes us white as snow. The gospel is what compels everything else Amen. that we do. It is why we can show up here on Sunday morning and not pretend like we have it all together. Well, the gospel leads us to worship. Worship is the, the reason that you exist. It's really redundant. Back up to glorifying God. Here's what Louis Giglio, I have it in my notes, see if I can find it real quick. Here's what uh, Louis Giglio says about uh, worship in his book um, on the subject. He says this, worship is about saying this person, this thing, this experience, this whatever is what matters most to me. It's the thing of highest value in my life. He goes on to say that every single person has a throne in their heart. And whatever is on that throne is what you worship. Every single one of us, six plus billion people on this earth today, and every one of us are always in a constant state of worship. Now, most of us, exchange the creator for something he has created, but that does not make you any less of a worshiper. We are all worshipers. But the gospel compels us to put on the throne of our heart the one who matters most. Every fall, I talk about this. The United States is full of worshipers. And there are stadiums full yesterday and today who prove just that. You're like, oh, here you go again, Scott, talking about football. You must like opera or something. And no, I love football. If you love opera, mercy, have mercy. I, 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 I can't get there. I appreciate the art form, but I cannot get there. I mean, that's... But no less true of the fact that you're a worshiper. Whatever is on the throne of your heart, Whoever is on the throne of your heart. It may be a game. It may be a person singing. It may be a, a stage. There is something on the throne of your heart. You are worshiping something today. And we exist to point you to the one who matters most. The, one, the only one who deserves to be on that throne. The gospel compels that. And it's the reason we exist. Not only that. Service. The gospel compels us to serve its missions. It's an outflow. It's, a, it's the result of what has happened inside of us. It's the natural outflow, the natural result of a life that's been transformed by the gospel. And there's many service opportunities in Wellspring Kids up here on stage helping us, lead us in an aspect of worship. Not, a, not the whole of worship, but an aspect of worship through song. It's why we are passionate about foster care kids here. It's a natural result of a life that's been transformed. Every single one of us that know Christ this morning have been fatherless and motherless in our sin. And yet because of, of the compassion of a, of a Savior, the compassion of a God who has 
been crucified, buried, and risen on our behalf, doing what we can never do for ourselves. It's because of his compassion that he has invited us and we have responded to be grafted in, adopted into his family. Every single one of us that know Christ this morning have been adopted. So we're passionate about seeing that take place in the physical form. Helping facilitate that through foster care. We're we're passionate about gospel-centered service. And then lastly, gospel-centered community. That's primarily happens through home groups. There's going to be other opportunities coming up. But we believe that we were created to be in a relationship, first with our Heavenly Father, but also with people who desire to make Him known. And that happens in community. And that's the reason we exist. There are a lot of things that can be done. There are a lot of things that need to be done. There are needs that must or need to be met, but there is one thing that must be done in the life of Wellspring Church. And that is we must make the name of Jesus famous through gospel-centered worship, service, and community. And it is the wall that we will stay on until the job is complete. So what does that mean practically? Well, to further this mission, we need some more space. And so tonight, at our family meeting, we're going to talk about that. We're going to look at the nuts and bolts of that. We believe so strongly in this mission that we will do whatever it takes, whatever the cost, to make it happen. To fill it, to fulfill it, until the job is done. And so tonight, I'm going to talk about the nuts and bolts. What's it going to look like? We've had many, many different ideas of what we need to do next, including launching a a church uh, sooner than we anticipated. We don't believe that's where God's leading right now. But we do believe he's leading somewhere. There's another step that needs to happen. And so tonight, we're going to go look, we're going to look at that. Look at the plans. Look at what uh, it's going to, how it's going to change the footprint of our building. Going to look at the costs. So that one of you can write the check tonight if you want to. No, I'm kidding. But it is my desire that you would do this. That you would be a, you would leave tonight as passionate about it as I am. For the sake of fulfilling this mission. We'll have a chance to ask questions. And then tonight, we're just going to leave. And I'm going to ask you to pray about it. If, as more questions come up, you can send those in. And we'll answer them the best that we can. Or we'll find the answer. And then what we'll do is in about a month and a half or so, we'll bring everybody back together for another meeting, answer any more questions, and then for all of our covenant members, we'll have a vote to see if the Lord is leading the same, uh, leading you the same way that he's leading us as leadership. I, I really believe, strongly believe, that he, if he's in this, if this is his desire, you will come along and be just as passionate about it as I am. And as our elders and our leadership are. And so we don't want to leave anybody behind. We want you on board. We want you on the wall. Doing the work alongside of us. Until the job is done. Charles Spurgeon said this about the church. I forgot to read this the first hour. He said this. He says the church, the Christian church, was designed from the first to be aggressive. It is not intended, or it was not intended, to remain stationary at any period, but to advance onward until its boundaries become commensurate with those of the world. 
It was to spread from Jerusalem to Judea, from Judea to all of Samaria, and from Samaria unto the uttermost part of the earth. It was not intended to radiate from one central point only, but to form numerous centers from which its influence might spread to the surrounding parts. I want to be a part of that. Mm-hmm. And we've been invited to do our part, the part to which we've been called. And we're going to do it till the job's done. Let's pray. Father, this morning, thank you for the story of Nehemiah and his leadership. And I thank you that you have saved, redeemed, and called people who are not worthy. I thank you that you have grafted, have adopted. And you've invited us specifically to be a part of making that a reality for kids in this area on a physical level. And it is by our prayer that it would happen on a spiritual level as well as a result of the work that you're doing in us and through us. For the glory, for the sake, for the fame of your name, not ours. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.